AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Wheat was mixed. Corn tried to trade higher but failed. Beans were lower but are stuck in a range. Live cattle consolidated after yesterday's strong gains. Lean hogs did not want to rally but did. And cotton futures turned a pitiful export sales report into a limit down close. Live from 12-22-2022 via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. I'm going to miss 2022. This afternoon, we'll hear from Chad Hart from Iowa State University. Right after the news with Michelle Rook, we'll get price action perspective from Oliver Slope of Blue Line Futures. I'm producer Big Apple Joe Stackler, and now, here is the host of AgriTalk, Chip Lorre. All right. Thank you very much, Joe. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it, and welcome. Welcome to AgriTalk. Glad that you are with us. Um, I am really looking forward to the conversation with Chad Hart today. It, the, it, it seems like every conver- every time I have a conversation with Chad Hart, it's like hitting the reset button. We go through the basics. We go through the just the, the fundamentals of the fundamentals to figure out what might be happening in these markets going forward. And most importantly, what to do about it is now the time to get some risk protection in place um, and and what strategy to use. So, yeah, like I said, I'm really, really looking forward to the conversation with Chad. And, of course, we've got Oliver coming up uh, right after we get done with the news with Michelle Rook. Michelle. Hey there. I tell you what, um, it not only is it cold, it's getting colder as the day goes on. I don't like the trend. At all. I hate the cold. <laughs> so you're a big fan of this climate change stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, when it starts getting warm, let me know. <laughs> okay. I'll come out Is of my that... hole, <laughs> my cave, whatever. Beautiful. Beautiful. I love it. All right. Hey, let's save some time for Oliver. Go ahead and get started you with bet. the news. Well, starting off with wheat export sales in the week ending December 15th, totaled 334,000 metric tons this morning in line with trade expectations. Unknown destinations, Japan, Thailand, and Mexico made the list of buyers. Trade sources also indicate Japan purchased nearly 84,000 metric tons of U.S. milling wheat in its weekly tender. Iraq bought 50,000 metric tons. Taiwan, 56,000 metric tons of U.S. milling wheat in its weekly tender. Hard red winter wheat futures closed with modest gains, while soft red winter and spring wheat ended the day with lower prices. The threat of winter kill in the central and southern plains likely limited, selling in HRW futures. March HRW wheat was two cents higher at 8.66. March SRW wheat slipped five and a half cents to 7.62 and a quarter. March spring wheat, well, we don't have a settlement, but 921 and three quarters down six was the last tick. Oh, I have it now. 922 and a quarter. Yep. uh, Down five and a half. Yep. Just came in here in like the last 10 seconds or so. Snuck right in there on me. Yes, it did. 
All right. Uh, corn export sales in the weekly report totaled 637,000 metric tons at the low end of trade expectations. Mexico, Japan, and El Salvador were on the list of buyers. The supply of corn from Ukraine for early 2023 gained some certainty overnight when Lloyds of London said it would continue to provide coverage for shipments of Ukrainian grain with no rate <laughs> increases. And limited buying interest in corn futures is the in the South American weather forecast that calls for weekend rains in Argentina and southern Brazil was part of the play today as well. March corn futures were one and three quarters cents lower, 660 and a half. July corn, 654 and a quarter down, one and a quarter cents. You know, Michelle, I understand why it's important, but who would have thought that the willingness of the largest insurance company in the world to continue to provide insurance on shipments from one country would be a potential market moving factor in the, in the grains. It's it's just amazing to me the how important that has become uh, in this marketplace. Yeah, wasn't that way a year ago? Was it? No, it was not. That's right. Yeah, March soybean futures remain tied to the fourteen seventy five level with today's trade featuring a downside correction following two consecutive higher closes. Export sales of beans in the week which ended December 15th, totaled 736,000 metric tons. That was below trade expectations. China accounted for 550,000 metric tons of the purchases. Now, the forecast for rain in some of the drier areas or driest areas of South America also pushed traders to the sell side of the market. March beans, 12.5 cents lower, 14.72. July closing at 14.78 and a quarter, down 11 and three quarter cents. Yeah, you know, I think one of the re another reason that the market was down today was last week the export sales. What it was nearly three million metric tons, and then we come in today at seven hundred thirty six thousand, and it's not a bad total. It's just not nothing close to three million. No, I would say exports, and you know, we run in into resistance a couple of times here this mm -hmm. week in that. Jan and March contract and couldn't take it out. So right. I wonder if that was right. part of it, too. You bet. You bet. Export sales of cotton featured net cancellations of nearly 88,000 running bales. That sent futures sharply lower, and March cotton was limited down on the close, 400 points at 84.30. Beef export sales in the weekly report totaling 4,500 metric tons is all for 2022, 7,200 metric tons for 23. But traders are looking for support from cash markets to lift futures now, I did see a little bit of light trade at 249 in Nebraska and Iowa before I came in here. That would be okay. a buck better than last week's weighted average. Uh, Feb cattle were 40 cents lower at 157.30 after contract highs yesterday. Jan feeders gained 15 cents to 183.97 and a half. And pork exports totaling 59,000 metric tons for 22 yeah. were led by the sale of 33,000 tons to Mexico. And pork sales for 23, just over 16,000 metric tons. February hogs were 65 cents higher today at 89.05. All right. Thank you very much, you Michelle. We'll talk to you at the end of the show. Thanks. You bet. Uh, Oliver Slope, Blue Line Futures. How you doing, Oliver? Doing well in uh, snowy Chicago. How about yourself? Yeah. Well, we're not doing too bad. We got the snow. The wind is here now. We'll see how it plays out over the next couple of days. Hey, dude, first things first. How'd those skirt steaks turn out? Oh, it's the most underrated cut ever. I agree. I tell you what, un yep. unbelievable every time. Yeah, when, when when you get the char on it just right, oh, 
Oh yeah, man, that's oh, yeah. good. I, I got the black stone; it covers the whole thing. I don't have to cut them up or anything. Is yeah, great. That that's fantastic. Okay, man. Uh, what do you like in the grain markets right now? Here, as we, you know. In, in this low volume trade. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, it's, it's, I, I've been talking with guys this week. It's, it's, you know, been a boring trade in the corn market. You know, the volatility's shri- shriveled up quite a bit. I think this CME CVOL index that measures corn volatility is at its lowest level since February of 2020, which, you know, is, is boring. But, you know, yeah. the, the other way to spin it would be it's a, an opportunity to look at cheap protection. You know, we yeah. usually see volatility shrivel up here at the end of the year, but there's still a lot of unknowns once we turn the calendar, not just in South America, but we're going to start jawboning back and forth between, you know, acres in the United States and shifting weather patterns here too. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the volatility continue to dwindle off into the new year, but turning that calendar wouldn't be surprised to see it pop. So I think there are opportunities in the options market to look at uh, some protection. Excellent. Real quickly, the hogs didn't want to rally you today, but did. That's impressive. Yeah, that is impressive. Uh, that February contract, it's bumped up against trendline resistance a handful of times since August. That comes in right near 90. So that's going to be a make or break area. Gotcha. Oliver, Merry Christmas, my friend. Thank you so much. Same, same to you. All right. That is Oliver Slope, Blue Line Futures. Chad Hart, Iowa State, up next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. The truth is hard to come by these days unless you listen to AgriTalk. All right, a little bit of breaking news for you. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Uh, the Senate has cleared the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill. And uh, pro-farmer policy analyst Jim Wiesmeyer says the House will pass it. Uh, just real quick, I'll give you the, the start of his special report on this. The Senate Thursday afternoon cleared the nearly $1.7 trillion omnibus spending package via vote of 68 to 29. The 4,155-page legislation includes the dozen annual spending bills for every federal agency, supplemental aid for the war in Ukraine and natural disaster victims, and a series of unrelated policies. <laughs> there. Oh, no, be quiet, Siri. Don't answer me on that. A series, not Siri, uh, of unrelated policies. It, it's a ridiculous number. It's like $15 billion worth of earmarks that are going through the improper channels. 
like like Michelle and I talked about this morning, I'm for earmarks. I really am. If they follow the procedure, because they're vetted like three or four times before they actually make it to a vote. But to raise your hand and say, hey, I got something else that I want to add in there. I got this bike trail. I got this bridge. I got this. I got that that I want to throw into the package and get get funding for. That's ridiculous. We that that's what that's what makes it a swamp, people. That's what makes it that's how you end up at 1.7 trillion. Now, I understand 15 billion of of the 1.7 trillion is a drop in the bucket, but nonetheless. Nonetheless. I mean, here we are. It it's ridiculous. They could drop right. that in my bucket. Oh, can we? Sure. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Okay, with that rant out of the way, I should also add that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said midday today that she hoped the House would pass the measure on Thursday night, though that depended on how long it took the Senate to send the amended version across to the Capitol. Wow. Okay, let's bring him in here. Chad Hart, Iowa State University Extension Crop Marketing Specialist. Chad, Merry Christmas to you, my friend. How are you? Merry Christmas, Jip. How are you today? Good, good. You know, as you can tell, I might be just touch wound up about some of the things that are happening in D.C., but, you know, for the most part, kind of standard operating procedure out of there, isn't it? It has been for about the past 20 years, you know, yeah. you bring up the budgeting process, and we haven't passed an actual budget in, in, in yeah, in about two decades. So yeah. this is this has been the norm for a while. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm complaining about this, the size of this package, 1.7, listen, I'm not blaming the Democrats. I'm not blaming the, the Republicans. It, each is as bad as the other when it comes to spending. Like Jim Wiesmeyer has said a hundred times, he says, you know, they, I, I would say that they're spending like a drunk sailor, but I don't want to offend the drunk sailor because they quit spending when they run out of money. Congress doesn't. It's just. Yeah. Well, I, and and when you think about it, this is the one chance that, you know, since we're not getting regular budgets through, everybody sees these omnibus packages as this is the, the last train out of town. If you're going to get a yeah. piece of legislation through, oftentimes this is the major target for you. Yeah, exactly. So if the train is rolling, attach your car and, and, and get it done. You know, Chad, as long as we're on this, when – on DC issues and and hey if this is coming at you from left field and you'd rather not discuss it yet fine just say so but what are your thoughts on the farm bill for 23 and the and the negotiation and is there a need and a a, a way a pathway to improve the safety net in in the farm bill well i think congress always looks at each farm bill as yeah an incremental way to help hopefully improve the farm bill. But I would say also farm bills tend to be less fixed what we've seen in the recent past. Yeah. And I think when you're looking here, the, the great debate I think actually comes down to when we're looking at farm bill funding, and I think that's going to be the major battle here is how much of what uh, the current administration has put forward as far as agriculture tied to the climate um, you know, initiatives that they have, how much of that either counts for or against farm bill spending? Because I think that's going to be a, a major, you know, issue of concern here is that, 
you know, are there going to be some members of Congress that say, okay, that money's already allocated to agriculture, therefore we're not going to add any additional amounts for any other farm bill programs or not. I see that as a, like I say, a, a major concern as we go through this year. I think the other thing I'm looking at here is, yeah, how will they look to improve the safety net? Yeah. You know, if we think back over the past four or five years, there's been a lot of ad hoc spending going in here, but for a variety of sort of odd reasons, you know, the trade fight back four or five years ago, COVID happening over the last couple of years. So there's not the, the typical sort of, you know, item that's really triggered some of the, the farm payments that we've had. Typically, we're looking at more of a, you know, has there been a natural disaster like a drought or a flood or looking at, you know, a significant price decline. We haven't had either of those to help spur on um, the need and therefore, you know, not as much guidance, if you will, to figure out what a better farm safety net would look like. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to focus on something that you said at, at the start of your comments there. They, they take kind of a snapshot of what, what things have looked like the past couple of years and they try to fix what might be wrong out there. There's not been a lot wrong with the farm revenue and row crop revenue the past couple of years. I hope they don't try to fix that, Chad. Well, that's the deal. Hopefully not. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree with that. I mean, I've, I've talked to a lot of farm groups, especially over the past, oh, three, four weeks here. And I, for a lot of folks, I, I describe it as if we could freeze where we're at right now and sort of just yeah. hold it right now. Yeah. I think a lot of folks across the, the farm communities would be happy because we're seeing you know, relatively strong pricing across the board. Yeah, costs are high, but revenues remain really strong. And, yeah. and let's face it, farm incomes have been really good the last couple of years. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you nailed it. Uh, you know, if, if if we would maintain prices and we would maintain revenue per acre, the input suppliers are going to come after it, aren't they? Well, uh, we always bid it away. I, I describe yep. it as that, you know, when a farmer gets a profit, what do we want to do with it? Well, we don't want to pay taxes on it, so we're going to reinvest it. And yep. so we're going to reinvest in what we know brings us that return, and that's reinvesting back in our agricultural operations there. And so that's what ends up leading to those higher costs a lot of times is that we're just reinvesting our profits back into the business. Yep, exactly. Exactly. You know, the participants in agriculture are the most willing investors in agriculture, and that's a good thing because they know what's going on in it. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a – but it it does feed on itself. Okay, uh, on to the markets here, and I want to start with the old crop, 2022 crop corn and soybeans. March beans, they're showing them willingness to trade above 1475 but they act like they don't want anything to do with 15 bucks. Have they, they, they've obviously found some kind of a comfort zone in here. Yeah, we definitely have it. I think it's a lot of it is that we see domestic demand remains pretty strong on there. It's it's the the questions about our exports as we're looking out there. You know, soy exports have been decent this year, but you know, not quite the the bigger boom we thought we might have here. Mm -hmm. And you know, big key to that will be China. Um, when I look at the data that was released this morning, the idea is we still see China sales up about ten percent year over year. But it's not quite as, like I say, robust as we had first hoped, I think, going into the season. Yeah. All those exports, whether we're talking about corn or soybeans or wheat or whatever, um, a lot of people, including myself, like to look at that uh, at the U.S. dollar. And, and 
not only the dollar, but how the dollar, the dollar index, but how the dollar is trading against uh, countries that import and against our competitor countries. We, we ran the dollar way to the upside on the index and we backed it off fairly decent. Is that going to help us out? That's helping a, a bit, but when it comes to a crop like soybeans, I'm going to argue, especially yeah. when we're dealing with China, it doesn't tend to play that much for us there other than you brought up, I was glad you brought up, you know, versus competitors. And when you think about the soybean market, it's been a case of Brazil's been underpricing us and Argentina's been beating us over the head with our own dollar. And so when you look at what South America has been able to gain in terms of export share on the soybean side, it is this combination of pricing and the dollar that's hurting us on both ends. You know, beating us over the head is a great way of saying it, Chad, because, I mean, they're doing export incentives based on the currency exchange rate. It it just, it, 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 it feels like we should be pursuing some sort of a challenge against it, but I don't know if the, if, if U.S. exporters have got the the heart to do it with the tough condition that Argentina's in right well, now. I, I think that may be part of it. I think if they if they were having, let's call it a, a better crop season down there, maybe yeah. we might pursue something like that. Because we've really never seen anything like this direct before. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. We got to touch on old crop corn. We're going to do that. And then we'll take a look at the 2023-24 marketing year. Chad Hart, Iowa State. It's time for news of note from Pro Farmer. Cargo insurance, we talked about it with Michelle. Cargo insurance for shipments via the Ukraine Grain Export Corridor are expected to remain steady in 2023, according to Lloyd's of London. The industry switch to cleaner fuels is complicating ocean logistics and raising shipping costs. They're buying alternative fuel ships and wondering if it's going to pay off for them in the future. There is no evidence, no conclusive evidence, that Russia is to blame for the Nord Stream pipeline explosion. U.S. home sales notched the largest streak of declines in 23 years last month. Two additional HPAI cases boost the total birds affected. Wow, this is a big number. 57.8 million. That is Pro Farmer's News of Note. Get more. Try ProFarmer.com. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. 
Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. Do you suffer from talking on the radio phobia? No problem. Send us a tweet at hashtag AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us this afternoon. We are in the middle of a conversation with Chad Hart from Iowa State University. Before we get back to Chad, I'll go ahead and recap where the markets closed. March HRW wheat futures two cents higher, eight sixty six. March SRW wheat slipped five and a half cents to seven sixty two and a quarter. March corn futures one and three quarter cents lower at six sixty and a half. July corn futures closed at six fifty four and a quarter, down one and a quarter cents. March beans twelve and a half cents lower, fourteen seventy two. July beans closed at fourteen seventy eight and a quarter, down eleven and three quarter cents. March cotton down the four hundred point limit at eighty four thirty. February cattle forty cents lower, one fifty seven thirty. January feeders gained fifteen cents, one eighty three ninety seven and a half. February hogs sixty five cents higher, eighty nine oh five. Chad Hart is the grain marketing, the extension crop marketing specialist uh, at Iowa State University, and he is our guest today. We talked about beans and their attraction to that fourteen seventy five fifteen dollar area. March corn sure seems to like six sixty, doesn't it, Chad? It definitely does. Well, that's the deal. It's made my job a little easier over the past couple of months because yeah, both <laughs> crops have been sort of range bound here for a while. Yeah. Not really wanting to move. And, you know, let's face it, the idea is that while there's been a little news, there's been nothing to really push the market one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, South America crop expectations here, Chad. Is it an old crop influence or a new crop influence or yes? Uh, well, it's yes, but I'm going to argue more new than old, you know, especially okay. as we look at the potential for, you know, Brazil on, on both the corn and bean side. Um, you know, I look at the 2023 numbers that USDA is projecting for Brazil. And yeah, those are some large numbers out there. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, five and a half billion bushels of beans out of Brazil is nothing to sneeze at. I think there's a little confusion on why USDA isn't as willing, isn't willing to be a little more active or proactive in adjusting those Argentine crop estimates. Chad, what what are your thoughts? Well, I'll go back. The USDA is usually very, let's call it conservative, or or they, they tend to be wanting to, you know, slowly work in, you know, natural disasters in their production numbers. They hate to be seen as being overly aggressive there in case they are too aggressive. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'd like them, well, you know, yeah, I, I was about to say I'd like them to reflect reality more than what they are but i don't know if my reality is the reality in the field in argentina or the reality of what the trade has got factored into the market the market has got something closer to 40 million tons on beans for argentina factored in don't they yes they do and i i think it's the case too of when we think about you know how how a drought hits us anymore it's hard not to discount what we've just went through here in the U.S. over the past two, three years and sort of apply that down to Argentina as well, saying, well, maybe it's not as bad as we yeah. first think because we've seen the U.S. crop do relatively well given the last three drought years. Okay. Okay. Um, Chad, I want to go on to the twenty three twenty four, And normally when I start this conversation with you, I would go straight to acres. But instead, I'm going to go to soybean crush. What do you think the potential is there? Did the did the EPA's disappointing 
bio-based diesel blending rates, blending mandates, did, did that discourage investment in the in, in the crush industry and in the renewable diesel? Industry? I think it discouraged a little, but not a lot. So I, I do okay. expect to see continued growth and development of those renewable diesel projects out there. When you're looking here, I would say that's more than a one-year play. They're thinking down the road here. Now, it may slow them down a bit, but I, I see this more as a, let's call it, building for 25-26 as opposed to a 23-24 issue in terms of production. Okay. We should see some of the – I'm thinking about the Shell Rock plant for one uh, that's that's uh, going to be crushing very soon. Mm-hmm. Uh we should see some growth in the 23-24 crush, though, shouldn't we? Yep, we're going to see some growth, and I think that's the deal here. I think we're going to see it more, let's call it spread out over the next two to three years as opposed to really being front-weighted here within the first two. Okay, okay. Um, is it as big a deal as what I think it is for the bean market going forward? I think it's a really big deal. To me, it is a really big deal, but it, it also hinges upon, I'm going to argue, not just the EPA, and I think that was a small piece of it, but really I'm looking at where oil prices are going to go because I think that's really going to drive, in this case, how strong that demand for alternative and biofuels moving forward is. And so when you think about oil sitting here in this $75 to $80 range, I think for renewable diesel to really get you know a fire lit under it, we need to see that oil price move back above 80 to, to create that sort of impetus. Man. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The crude oil price. Um, yep. we're, we, we are seeing resistance to higher prices from that sector, from the refiners. When you get that bean oil price into the 70 cent range, aren't we? Yes, we are. Well, it's sort yep. of, if you want to think of it as it's been sort of, it, once it got below 80, we, we've been sitting in this upper seventies range now for quite a while. Yep. Yep. Okay. Very good. Very good. Um, okay. Acres. Hey, we've got De- December 23 corn futures, six bucks. We've got November 23 bean futures, about a buck below where our March is, uh, call it 1380. And uh, I don't know which is winning right now. Well, I know USDA, when they put out their long-term forecast, put it all on corn as far as that growth is concerned and actually had beans retracting a bit. I think they both grow. Um, and it, it links back to something you've mentioned and, you know, throughout the show a little bit, you know, as I've listened in. And it's, I think there's a lot of acres, especially as I look into Dakotas, but also down in the Southeast that I think are going to be looking at both corn and beans. And I think both gain as we look into next year. Okay. So have you got the numbers that you've got on your balance sheets for planted acres? Yeah, right now, I got to admit, I'm 92 on corn and 89 on beans. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Let's see, $181 million total. Yep. Yep. And, and in this case, too, I mean, I think the big one is to watch, you know, like that like cotton area down there. The idea is that, you know, as, as yeah. you've seen with the, you know, when reading the futures price today, um, I think there's some leakage out of that crop that that's headed to other crops. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're probably right. That cotton market's going to have to get things straightened out or we're going to move. It, it, they're not going to get nine and a half million acres planted if we don't get some things straightened out in there. Okay. Risk management on 23 crop and the, the input side of things. I know that's such a huge variable, 
But if you were inclined to get some $6 corn and some $13.80, $14 beans locked in, what kind of a strategy do you like? In my case, and I'll fall back to something Oliver mentioned earlier. The idea is especially right now, we've seen the volatility come off, which is making options relatively more attractive right now. So I'm probably looking at, you know, putting in some puts to, to create a price floor underneath this these crops right now, but leaving myself that upside potential open as we're looking out there, because as I'm looking out in the 2023, I'm expecting a sort of seasonal pricing trend as we look out there. So I want to be able to ride this thing forward, especially as we move into late spring, early summer. Okay. So take me through the first quarter. What's going to be on, what is on Chad's watch list for the first quarter of 23? Well, definitely, as I'm thinking, you know, especially through January, I'm going to be watching these export numbers to see how well international demand holds up. Uh, because, like I say, that to me is the bigger concern demand-wise as I'm looking out for the next year. Then as we start to get into February, it's probably the, the great debate of start really thinking about, okay, that acreage decision as we start to look at production-wise. And some of that's going to be related to how well does that South American crop as we're looking out there again, sort of in tandem with looking at the export picture, continuing to watch that. And so by the time we get to March, then I, I think it really falls back on, okay, you know, how, I guess I'll, I'll say it this way. How well do the weather patterns line up to see, you know, in terms yeah. of our long-term forecast in terms of, how planting season will go, because I think a lot of this is that we are expecting, you know, like I say, I'm expecting more acreage to be put in play. Yep. Do we see weather patterns changing enough where we could see those, you know, bumper crops once again? And if so, that, that puts more pressure on the markets as we get towards springtime. Yep. We've got a lot of drought to fix out there. And uh, we do. That, yeah. Uh, the, the, I mean, when, when you make predictions for 2023, Right at the top of the list is a weather rally for me because, and that seems so that seems so obvious, but every time somebody says, hey, "Come on, give me something better than that," I just say, "Look at the drought monitor map, people. Come on, it is dry in way too much uh, on way too many acres for corn and soybeans." Okay, hey, Chad, only got about a minute. What's the most interesting questions one of your students has asked you here recently? Oh, good golly. Um, <laughs> probably in this case, a, a lot of it's been actually about, um, for example, U.S., Mexico and the great debate over GM versus non-GM corn. So walking through how much is GM versus non-GM, how much is yellow corn versus white corn, um, thinking about what that corn is utilized for. So that's been a lot of fun for the students because it points out that oftentimes we talk about corn and we think corn is corn, but it's like, nope. Let's break it down into these different Can't, subject, you know, areas because it does matter when you're looking at these sorts of issues in trade. Can you believe, can you believe that an issue that we thought was settled before those students were born is now making headlines? Oh no. I, I you know, I how to put this. I'm used to, you know, lots of issues. You think they're done, they come boomeranging back again. Yeah, that's right. Great conversation, Chad. Thanks for making time, man. Stay warm. Merry Christmas. Go Cyclones. Merry Christmas. Go Cyclones. Have a great one, Chad. Excellent. Thank you. That's Chad Hart. Uh, he is the Extension Crop Marketing Specialist down at Iowa State University. Michelle's going to join me for the 
show wrap up here after this break. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by the NRCS Conservation Stewardship Program, which cost shares more than 150 practices on farms and ranches. Visit your local service center or farmers.gov today. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you're with us this afternoon. Um, Michelle Rook is with us as well. Michelle. I always enjoy talking to Chad. Like I said, he helps. He kind of helps me hit the reset button. And I don't know exactly what it is, but he he just brings a lot of clarity to some issues on 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 things that we should be focused on. So yes, he's very cool. practical. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we had cold storage report out this afternoon. I neglected to mention that at the top of the hour. Um. Let's see. Let's get to some of the numbers here. Beef stocks at the end of November totaled 521.9 million, up 11.6 million pounds from October. Uh, the five-year average during the month was a 3.5 million pound increase. Beef stocks rose 31.5 million pounds. So that was a <laughs> a big increase compared to average. Pork stocks declined last month which is the normal pattern, though they dropped slightly more than average, 454.2 million pounds, down 55.5 million. The five-year average decline for the month is 52.7. Total poultry stocks dropped 127.6 million pounds from October. Um, yeah, so it, it I, I don't think we can call this all that positive for the markets, but it's not going to be a big negative for for the uh, livestock or hog markets tomorrow either. So, And tomorrow, Michelle, we've got that cattle on feed report coming our way. Cattle on feed and hogs and pigs. That's right. Quarterly H&P. It's a big day tomorrow, Michelle. Yeah, it is. Good grief. It is. So the average trade guess, all hogs and pigs on December 1, 98.5%. Kept for breeding, 99.8%, and kept for marketing, 98.4%. I think the, you know, we got to pay attention to the forward-looking numbers, those being the farrowing intentions. 99.8% for the Dees-March farrowing intentions, 99.9% for the May-June. So, basically, no, obviously, no, they're not expecting, on average, 
expansion of the pig crop going forward. And then the September-November pig crop, uh, let me get this. Okay, average trade guess, 98.4%. So some tighter numbers ahead is what the, the numbers indicate. Yeah, and if you talk to guys out in the country, um, they're still dealing with some PERS and some other disease issues, and so that's a little bit of a problem. And, you know, we're crush margins have been pretty good, but they still are looking at, um, you know, being kind of tentative with these higher corn prices yet because if yeah. you are in one of those cash basis areas that's really strong that didn't have a lot of corn, um, you're probably paying up there. And soybean meal is pretty expensive again. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned the PERS. It seems like every time I get away from a crowd and a hog producer or a farrow operation catches up with me, they all want to talk about PERS. And just how tough it has been on their on their operations, oh, yeah. Michelle. It's just it can be devastating to some of these guys out yeah, there. Yeah, especially if they have to depop and there's been a lot of that the last, oh boy, year to eighteen months or longer. So yeah. a lot of different strains keep, you know, mutating. Yeah. Yep. Cattle on feed report, total number of cattle on feed estimated as of December one. The average trade guess ninety seven point two. You know, the highest, the high, the top end of the range is 98%. So at a minimum, they're looking for a 2% drop in the total number of cattle on feed on uh, December 1. Placements in November, 95.8. And marketing's in November, holding right in there, 100.9. Um, it's, uh, it, it's kind of a – I mean, I'm sorry. If we get those averages, Michelle, I would look at it and say it's a bullish report. Yeah, we seem to fade those reports, darn it. But yeah. we'll see how we trade tomorrow going into it and if it's all built in or not by the time the bell closes. Yep. Yeah, the, the COF, the cattle on fade report, right? Yeah, that's kind of the way we, I guess, tongue-in-cheek <laughs> call it. But Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I, I think when you look at what that market did yesterday, the live cattle market did yesterday, I mean, Think about it. The live February live cattle yesterday opened at one fifty five sixty, and we closed at one fifty seven seventy. It was a really nice move. Contract, as you mentioned at the start of the show, contract high yesterday. Today we had a high range open, low range close, but it was an inside trading day. Just a little bit of consolidation near the top of the range from yesterday. So. It, it didn't do any technical damage today, in my opinion, no. and here we are set up for the report. And we did have seven-year highs yesterday in the front month or the spot month on the continuation chart. So that looks really bullish Seven-year highs. Seven-year highs. My goodness. You know, and the cycle is lining up. I'm still a big believer in the cycle. Yeah, we might extend out because the drought and the influence of drought on the last cycle pushed our high out to 2014. Sure. This year, should we be looking for the high in 2023 or 2024? I don't think it matters. I just know that the cycle high, or I shouldn't say no, I just really believe that the cycle high is still out in front of us in this cattle market. Don't you? Oh, yeah. I believe so, too. The futures are telling you that with the premium structure. We're building all of it into the back months, but... We just got to get there. We got to get past some of these 
bigger tonnage numbers that we've had or yep. slaughter figures. So. Yep, yep. And the thing about it, even looking at the cattle on feed report that was out this afternoon, we're using it. We're, we're using it. Um, so even though we're producing, we are still finding a way to use the beef that's being produced. Michelle, thank you so much. Okay. Hey, talk to you later. Hey, I, I, I know you don't really like the cold, so try to stay warm, okay? I will. Excellent. We'll talk to you tomorrow morning. All right, that's Michelle Rook. Okay, hey, thank you so much for listening uh, today. We had some great conversations. If you missed the Grit with Grace conversation from this morning, please go back and take a listen to that with, with Brooke Taylor. It was uh, It is really an inspirational story from Brooke, so give that one a listen. Come back tomorrow morning. We got the free-for-all with Wiesmeyer Haney and me. Tomorrow afternoon, Chip Nellinger, Blue Reef Agri-Marketing, right here on Agritalk.